This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 495 for February 17th, 2016. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast, everybody. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and joining me, as she is almost every week, is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hello, Glenn. How are you today? I am excellent. Are you feeling better than warmed over death today? Much better. Yeah. I got the amoxicillin and it just, yep, much better. Kids don't do drugs except drugs that are like this, which are great. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why they tell kids that because drugs are really the answer. Drugs are the answer to all your problems, uh, depending on what your problems are. We'll answer them eventually. Uh, Yeah. I'm sorry about the antibiotics, but, uh, but glad you can... Don't be. It's I great. Get them. Well, I'm always sorry, everybody. I, I'm eating uh, a fermented food. This is not medical advice. I just keep uh, – if I need antibiotics, I will get them. But I also am doing a lot of – like the uh, the kraut. Just like a, a kimchi thing going I don't like on and that keeps so you much. all – I like do kraut. Healthy. I do uh, uh, kefir, uh, which is the fermented yogurt kind of thing. And, um, oh, right. Okay. Uh, I like uh, – everything starts with a K. Kefir, kraut, kimchi, and um, the uh, – the drink with the mother the kombucha. Kombucha. Also all, it's funny. I think it starts with a K. It's fermented. That's the new rule. Like Kanye, he's fermented. <laughs> he's doing his own juices right now. We'll talk about him in a minute. Good old Kanye. Uh, well, this is a week of um, of problems. Uh, we're going to talk about a few different things this Just week. We'll talk about bugs Kanye. Bugs and drama yeah. and more bugs Yeah, Apple software problem. A lot of talk again of Apple software problem and iTunes and HomeKit. We got a lot. Of, let's talk about some problems. Problems make for good <laughs> got a lot podcasts. of problems with you people. I got I got one e ten problems and and they're mostly reduced to uh, exponential notation. Um, I have zero x problems. Uh, so the epic, what I like to call the epic fail, epic fail, dude. Uh, so if you're a longtime Unix user like I am, I've been using Unix since the eighties. Oh my god, I'm old. And uh, there's this thing called the epic e p o c h. Not a word you hear spoken aloud very often, which is the second and date that uh, Unix started. Unix has like a birth date. It's January 1st, 1970. So there's, you know, like a couple of uh, forefathers of Unix is Dennis Ritchie and uh, passed away not that long ago and uh, and uh, Thompson, uh, Ken Thompson. And so they created Unix after 1970 and they, they wanted to have a thing in Unix that's like a tick. It's a counting increment that has to count from something. And the arbitrary starting point they picked was the start of that decade, depending on how you count decades, uh, January 1st, 1970. So now it is fast forward many years later, 46 years later, and uh, Apple got bit by this epic bug. So I don't know, did you, nobody did this to you, right? No one said, hey, try this out. It's really cool. No, I was out sick. um, And Roman busted out a iPad mini two or three or whatever, it's, it only affects 64-bit iOS devices. So here's what the bug actually is. If you have a 64-bit iOS device and you go in and manually change the date to January 1st, 1970, the the whole thing is bricked. Or, bef- or before, apparently. But I think people yes. tried that date. And you have to scroll. Like one person writing about this at another site was like, they, you, have to, you have to go. It takes a long time to go back in time uh, when you're setting the date. So they gave up. Um, but you have to go back. Yeah, 46 years. Yeah, and then weeks. reboot, and it won't go past the startup screen because it's just like, what? It's this before time existed, does not compute, <laughs> error, the error, error. The before time, the long ago. Well, for <laughs> Unix, Unix, time doesn't exist 
Time doesn't exist before that date. That's like you want to have a creation day. There, there we go. There were no iPhones back then, but there were plenty of bricks, and that's how you brick your thing. I haven't actually seen Roman since then because I've been working from home to try to spare everyone my disgusting germs. So I, but yeah, it's to my knowledge, it hasn't come back yet. I think there were some reports that some people like it just after several hours, they were able to reboot and everything was okay. But um, he's like, yeah, I think I have to take this thing to the, God, I wonder to if you, the Apple store. If you plugged in a USB uh, adapter to the, uh, well, if the, you know, one of those, um, those things that have a USB adapter they use for uh, uh, doing different kinds of connections, you could plug a keyboard in some keyboards are recognized. I wonder if you could do that and do control C and, uh, that was the only solution. Um, yeah, boot, Unix boot up procedures hidden from us, which is good. And then that happens. And the funny thing is, this is not the first time something like this has happened. It's the first time I think it's happened to Apple. Uh, but um, there have been previous cases in which there have been issues with the Epic for other operating systems. I remember how, there are things where like, don't set it to this, or if you're a certain date or whatever. Uh, it's just like, it's the fundamental lifeblood unit. Um, the, the related part is, uh, I think, I remember we've talked about it on this podcast is, the 32-bit unsigned integer problem uh, for Unix, which has been solved now in most operating systems and everything we're using currently, which was uh, Unix was going to run out of ticks. Like there'd be a point at which it couldn't count any higher because it would be uh, four, whatever it was, four billion or two, I forget, whatever two to the 32nd power is. Uh, unsigned integer is a, a 32-bit unsigned integer is a number that's 32 bits long that does not have a plus or minus sign. It's just, you know, greater than zero. And uh, so in 2030 or so, it would actually be the two, people are calling it the 2K30 problem, <laughs> which was, oh, no. and so if there's any Unix systems that were never updated, and there are some weird, um, you know, embedded systems and things that just tick along and people kind of keep them running, anything that wasn't updated to be able to represent the time in more than a 32-bit unsigned integer will uh, actually could fail in 2030. And uh, I think it's, it's just such a funny thing. 2K, 2K30, I think is what it's called, or is it 230K? Uh, but the uh, this actually hit Facebook uh, because Facebook had um, the singer Psy, uh, he had uh, his Gangnam Style video got so many uh, views on mm -hmm. Facebook that it was exceeding the 32-bit count. And they had to actually revise their system so they could represent it. Uh, which is, I know, pretty pretty hilarious. Um, not Facebook. I'm saying YouTube. I'm saying YouTube, Facebook. Right? I'm yeah, sorry, okay. YouTube. I beg your pardon. Uh, and that was just uh, a little thing. And then, of course, you know, it turned out uh, YouTube said they were going to. It was going to break their system, and they're so joking about it. it. Turned out they were well ahead of it, but they wanted to use this because it would be the first uh, video that um, wound up uh, hitting that mark. So, and um, rightly so. <laughs> yeah. So what was the number? It was two. Yeah. So, oh, here we go. Yeah. 32 bits is uh, 2 uh, trillion, 147 million, 483,647 would be the, uh, if you're counting starting at zero, as we do in the computer world. And when it hits 648, blah, it would break. Uh, so there we go. Oh, in fact, I'm sorry. This was actually a signed integer, making it worse. So you can only represent half the numbers are below zero and half above. So uh there we go. So anyway, that's that's a little bit of Unix inside business. But so if you have a 64-bit iOS device, yeah. don't set it to January 1st, 1970 or earlier. Just don't do that. Don't listen to your if friends. If you do it, that'll break. And Apple is going to fix this. This is so. like prank week. It's like, hey, open yeah. this file. And it's like Safari crashes crash. Safari. There's, hey, yeah. it's really cool. You know, Apple will show this retro thing if you set it to January 1st, 1970. No, don't do it. Your friends are terrible. 
Don't yeah, listen to I don't know why you would do that, but if someone tells you to, just kind of roll your eyes oh. and say, "Well, there are Easter eggs sometimes. Sometimes you, you can't you set... get me because I listen to the Macworld podcast. Woo-hoo! So You're nice a, try, we, Bucko. We've immunized you against the mind virus. Uh, but you know, there you, there are some Easter eggs where you have to set things to a certain date. I think I have some recollection that system Apple isn't really a Easter egg. Uh, I think company. they might have done something in System Seven or Eight. I have a vague recollection about yeah. setting something to a date and doing a certain thing and like a special thing. Back in thing the goofball days. Yeah, when they had now fun. it's serious business that's right uh speaking of serious business adobe has this great idea uh install an update to their software and it's going to delete the items in the alphabetically or unix alphabetically oh, first folder on your mac like how i mean did they I, fix that they have to fix that already they have not fixed it they have stopped oh, release they've stopped on it, distributing yes yeah, so they told uh they're just uh, not giving anyone updates until right they, they told ars technica it. they're stopping the distribution of the update until the issue has been resolved so as of this morning uh it's unknown and the reason this got dis- discovered it looks like andy bayo who is a uh uh fellow in portland who i know quite well does the xoxo conference and uh was behind uh uh, a lot of really interesting he's involved a lot of the interesting things uh, he coined the word super cut a lot of interesting things on the internet happened or because of Andy Bayo and uh, anyway so Andy uh, discovered that his backblaze was failing and it's because backblaze often is the first hidden alphabetical folder on your drive if you're using it it's dot bzvol is the folder name it doesn't matter if it's hidden or not but it's alphabetically because periods become are listed first in unix directories so um the solution for this by the way is uh just uh make a fake and roman uh, loyal has a story up about this you can create a uh, a fake folder it's an empty folder that's alphabetically first and it will prevent this from deleting anything because it doesn't delete the folder it just deletes the contents of the folder uh, and even for backblaze backups i believe it doesn't wind up uh, ruining your backup it just means you have to do some monkeying around but um backblaze was it was pretty hilarious they're like well that was an interesting day i mean you wake up one morning you're an engineer at a backup company and hundreds and hundreds of your users say what happened my backup stopped there's something wrong and whatever and it's like oh and and they help troubleshoot it so um pretty wild not such a good uh yeah and so um yep yep so not such a great not such a great week for adobe um and you wonder you say how does a company not test or put code in that does it and you know there's probably some cleanup thing where it's supposed to delete itself after some temporary files and it was programmed badly but you're like gosh how much software is programmed to do that and this is another reason for sandboxing sandbox software can't arbitrarily delete things outside of the box in which it's running uh and uh it prevents stuff like this happening yeah so does that mean that creative cloud isn't working in in the sandbox yeah, I don't think uh, does Adobe sell any products that work in the Mac App Store. I think, I mean, it may be doing some sandboxing. No. If it's if they're smart, it's doing some sandboxing. But um, that's entirely their own business, as opposed to working within a uh, like an operating system sandbox. Because uh, at the OS level, if you're a Mac App Store app, it's I think very difficult to modify files outside of uh, without you have to get users have to grant permission. I don't know if system level files can be act. You know, there's like all these little bits mm-hmm. and pieces that prevent it. Uh, and this is one of the reasons it's like it helps uh, sandboxing prevents software that's malicious from doing bad things. It prevents uh, exploits of software that's not malicious from doing bad things. And it prevents certain kinds of programming errors and other problems that would affect other software too. So lots of benefits, but the limitation is just all kinds of things you can't do with sandboxed apps because they don't have access to enough stuff too. 
another fixing problem. Um, that thing we were talking about, the t.co issue. Yes. Uh, I think I uh, now got a column up. <laughs> Siri, Siri liked that phrase. Uh, Siri activated when I said t.co. I don't know why that sounds like Ahoy Telephone, but there you go. That's funny. So helpful. Siri Thanks, is very Siri. useful. Oh, I kind of stopped saying her name otherwise. Oh, my um, goodness. So but the, the t.co problem was uh, it's the Twitter link issue with Safari, which I'd found uh, stories going back years where people are having this issue. They click a link in a Twitter app and or inside, I think, uh, twitter.com and it uses a redirect uh, that Twitter has set up. So all URLs in Twitter are rewritten to be t.co redirections to the final URL so they can track engagement, like how many people click the link. And sometimes Safari will just go and say it never open it, like this long delay. Then you hit reload, it says page not found, then you hit reload and it opens. And it's unclear exactly what's happening. And I got advice uh, from one person about flushing DNS values, which may help. And uh, the other is that Apple is apparently aware of this. It's a problem that is a layer uh, below WebKit, which is the web rendering engine. It's something else, but it's been figured out. And so it will be fixed in a future release. Like it's a known problem now, which is great. But if you go to macworld.com, I've got an article up a Mac911 column that'll explain uh, the details of like how you can work around it. If you're using TweetBot, there's a workaround. You can do this DNS flush, or you can open URLs in something other than Safari, and ostensibly the problem won't occur. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't run into that yet, but that sounds like it would be really annoying because, I mean, links on Twitter, that's where I get most of my links. Yep. And uh, I think we already talked about error. We already talked about error 53 last week, so we won't bring that up again, but no news there. Uh, still, got a lot of comments in my article about Error 53 and Apple maybe not treating us like uh, they're the nanny and uh, we don't need to know what's going on with their equipment. Um, people have various feelings about it. It's very interesting. People with different opinions. What is that about? On the internet? I know. Get out of here. It's wacky. But I think this leads into kind of a broader discussion we wanted to have, which was uh, Apple's software problem. I mean, there's this the, – the narrative right now, and I think I'm part of this narrative – is that uh, Apple seems to have lost its footing on a lot of the software they make. And maybe some operating system stuff, well, that's gotten better. But, uh, but services, certainly, iCloud issues, uh, photos, iTunes, a lot of basic software use um, to some general interaction problems. And I think there's a counter-narrative forming, too. And so, um, Susie, I didn't have a chance to listen to John Gruber's talk show episode with, uh, with Eddie Q and Craig Federici. Now, you listened to it and wrote kind of a, a rundown for those who don't have the time for Macworld, because they said some interesting things. I mean, so what? what's their take on uh, this issue about people complaining about, uh, you know, software <laughs> not well, meeting our, our, our uh, requirements? It was a pretty interesting discussion. Um, I was left feeling a little disappointed in, um, they, they seem like they were trying to minimize it a little bit, but then, I mean, if I, you know, get realistic and think like, what, you know, what were they supposed to say? Like, I doubt that they would, you know, come on and be like, yeah, you're right. Our software is awful, <laughs> you know? So, so they're, you know, they have to stick up for, for their dog food and they <laughs> talked a lot about like what they do. I mean, they really do. Like they said that they run every single daily build. They're updating like multiple machines, uh, a, a day and, and because they, you know, they want to see the, all these features that they hear about in meetings. They want to, you know, help test things. They want to file radar. They want to, you know, they want the software to be as good as possible. Like these, these are the software executives that he had on there. 
But I mean, when he tried to get spe- first, they couldn't talk generally, and they get all like those diagnostics that you agree or you know don't agree to to send them automatically. So when things crash and and whatever, they, they they get a lot of data and they have analytics. So when they say like, okay, there's a perception right now that the software isn't that good, they can actually look and say like the data says the software is good. So that felt a little, you know, that's not a fun thing to hear as a as a user of the software and be like, oh, they don't think it's a problem because the data shows that, you know, this version of iTunes crashes less than the, the version before it. Um, so I don't know, like that's not super satisfying, but is also like a totally logical answer that you would expect them to give. Um, and then like, so then John asked, you know, more about iTunes, like specifically, since that was a big, one of the main complaints in Walt Mossberg's piece, which was, you know, how they touched off the discussion. And they, you know, Eddie kind of talked about how, like, where iTunes came from and and how, like, you know, it used to be all the music was on your machine and now it's all in the cloud. And he just kind of, like, was describing iTunes without really, you know, getting to the to the heart of the argument, which is, you know, that it's, it's too bloated, it, you know, the beach ball and how it was messing up people's libraries when people tried to combine, you know, uh, their collections into iCloud Music Library. Maybe they had iTunes Match. Maybe they don't. Apple Music, you know, just the way all the pieces fit together. I mean, I think it's partly an education thing. And they did say that, you know, as they're building Apple Music, which is now up to 11 million people, they said that they've run into like people, you know, a lot of maybe not so much in America, but around the world, like people just don't even get the concept of streaming. And that was also sort of annoying to hear because I was like, come on, you guys, you didn't invent streaming like Spotify is in a ton of countries. There's Deezer. There's all these other products. But but yeah, like they they just seem to sort of think that it's it's OK. And if the if the software is working well for for most people, I mean, and, and another thing they pointed to was that people upgrade a lot faster now. Um, they said, you know, when they put out 10.6.0, slow, Snow Leopard. Nobody jumped on it right away, and they, you know people used to wait, and now people jump on them right away. So it's not even that there's more, um, there's more bugs and more issues. It's just that we're hearing about it more, and 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 they seem to kind of you know say that it was a perception problem, and it was that's all uh, gaslighting. Which uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't super fun. <laughs> it can all be to, true, to but it's still to. it's still yeah, gaslighting. It was that it's thing saying, where I'm like, okay, everything you're saying makes sense, but it's just unsatisfying yeah, this to hear. Is, it's, and, you know, and I can agree with, like, the question is, here's always the thing, and I think Steve Jobs, to quote that guy who people have heard of, um, I think his thing was you can't Not go into a room and, like, focus group stuff. You don't go in and say, what do you want? You know, that's when you get a Homer Simpson car when you do that. <laughs> and we've seen, you know, we've certainly seen that some manufacturers. That was a cool car. <laughs> yeah, it's a great car. We, we've seen some uh, hardware makers essentially do that. Here's our Homer Simpson products. Like, oh, really? It costs what? You're out of your mind. Yeah, or Microsoft with like, you know, 18 versions of everything. And like, oh, the hardest geez. part is trying to figure out like what you actually need. Yeah, but so so I think Jobs' comment there, I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing it, but it was essentially that you can't focus your way into making better stuff. It's You have to have a, a clarity of vision and a direction. You have to have a gut instinct that's borne out by data that you understand from your own business. And I think that actually serves them, uh, should serve them well here and it's serving them poorly, which is looking at crash reports, looking at user reports does not tell you how people are using your stuff because people who are not sophisticated users cannot articulate exactly what's going wrong. They just know they're frustrated. Mm-hmm. And 
I'll use the example of my wife, who is a sophisticated computer user, but she's not a programmer. She's not a technical person, but she's, you know, as, as sophisticated as you can get as a person who is not involved in technology in their day-to-day life. And she does all kinds of stuff on her Mac. She's been using a Mac for decades. She knows what she's doing. It's not a problem. And yet, every few days, something comes up in which she needs to enlist my help. And it's not like I go over there and go, oh, honey, hell, you just need to click the widget and whatever. I go over <laughs> and I'm like, huh. Huh. And That's I'm like, well, weird. What if we, yeah. Yeah. God, did you try? You did try. Okay, you've gone through all this trouble because hmm. she's a sophisticated user. She will go through and is self, you know, sufficient. It's like I tried this, 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 and I'm like, oh, whatever. Like, well, maybe we need to figure out. Let's go search on Google. Huh. And then, you know, sometimes this turns to a Mac 911 column. We need to clear the cache and then do this and then reboot. And like, oh, you don't have. Oh, these two versions are out of sync. Like, this is the experience people have. And my wife is not going to file a bug report with Apple about it. They're not going to file well, a radar. They're not getting crash reports for me for iTunes anymore because I'm not using iTunes. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, it, I'd, I'd avoid it whenever possible. So they could be like, wow, like crashes are really going down. And but I'm I mean, not, they can see usage too. So Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, do sentiment analysis and, and get people's feels about, you know, iTunes. More like you have to, I think you need to be able to talk to a swath of users of different experience. And, you know, I'm privileged in getting the incoming email stream of Mac 911. So we get a few hundred questions a month. I can only answer a fraction of them, sadly, but a lot of them tend to group around certain things like, how do I deal with albums in photos? That kind of question, I think, goes to the heart of what uh, I believe Craig Federici, I think it was, who had said, I'd saw some quotes about this, where, you know, switching from iPhoto to photos was necessary for Apple and for us as users. It is better software. It's not as not where it needs to be yet, but it's much better than the 1.0 release, which was kind of crummy. Uh, you know, we had to wait for El Capitan to get a 1.1, and now it's at like 1.6, and most of the problems have fallen away. There are certainly a large contingent of people who say, I liked iPhoto, which you can continue to use, by the way. You don't have to switch, <clears throat> excuse me, unless you want to use I, you know, iCloud Photo Library. Uh, but so a number of people say, I like iPhoto. I don't like photos. I don't like this. I don't like that. That is a condition of change, right? When you hear people say that, they're resisting change and it's mm-hmm. totally reasonable, right? They like the old yeah. version. But that's and a they dip- acknowledge that. They, they sort right. of did acknowledge that, I mean – and the, the the actual like software that, you know, like photos and iTunes, like that's personal, you know, like your photo collection yes. and your music collection, like this is this represents like years of your life, you know, and and that it, it's just it's a lot more personal than like, OK, like I don't like, you know, the way that they did this sidebar in this email app, you know, like you just get over it and get on with your day. Yeah. But photos and music are different. And they didn't really rule out like they, you know, they talked about how they thought photos was a better product, but they, you know, sympathize with people who liked iPhoto. And like you said, you can keep using iPhoto. Um, I th- I'm pretty sure that it's it, that's a lot harder to do with iTunes. I think they've kind of bundled iTunes in with the OS Oh, updates. yeah, yeah. My dad it's went up with this. It's really interesting... hard to go back, if not my, impossible. My dad went up with an interesting situation where his phone, he kept updating his phone and not his Mac. So he's using Snow Leopard because he has some old software. And he is also, he does website design and other stuff. He's a sophisticated computer user, but he never, he did not like what he was hearing past Snow Leopard. So he's like, ah, I got an old computer. I'm not updating it. I'm just going to keep it here because all of my older software works. And he knew, in fact, some of it would break if he went to Lion. So very, and so it's sort of hilarious. I'm supporting my, I don't have to support my dad, but it's like, I've got an example of this kind of user. He's not intransigent. He literally has no reason to update, but I think he continued to update uh, iTunes. Is mm-hmm. I think you can run the newer version under Snow Leopard. I forget the deal, but he wound up with iTunes that is too new 
to are too old to work with his phone, his iOS nine oh, point whatever phone yeah, will yeah. no longer sync, and that means he has to go to iCloud entirely, and it it just changes the whole. Uh, whole equation. He may now jump all the way to Mavericks. He's got a system that can actually support it and was asking my advice about um, about upgrading uh, now because he's finally ready to get rid of some of that older software. But see, so like, but this, so this situation, like the personal feeling, I get that. Like some people just like iPhoto. They don't like the transition. They don't like the missing features in photos. However, I feel like they were conflating that and I feel like this seems to be the general attitude between fundamental problems in photos that weren't fixed. Like people didn't object to photos 1.0 because it wasn't iPhoto. I mean, some people did, obviously, right? But you didn't have to immediately switch. I objected to it, uh, even though the performance was better, because it was buggy. And it was missing features that people used all the time, that I used all the time. Some of those are now back. We're almost back to a feature parody for things that seem useful in the current version. It's still sometimes buggy. It still has mysterious error messages. Syncing is still a mystery when and why it happens. I get questions every week about the managing optimized photos versus full resolution photos uh, and how Apple stores stuff. And, you know, I point people to facts and sometimes things don't work. I get, you know, there's still constant syncing problems. So I want, I like to say they are not stepping back a level. They're looking at it as a sentiment thing when in fact there's issues. Um, you know, so over a year ago, I wrote this post that got I didn't expect to get any attention at all. It's on my personal blog about all the problems that I had seen that other people had compiled about um, iOS, you know, Yosemite and iOS 8 and uh, iCloud that were happening consistently for a lot of people and sometimes one-off stuff. But this long list, I wound up getting like 150,000 page views on it, over 400 comments and people going, yes, this is my problem. Like all the things you're saying, we're now more than a year later and – El Capitan, iOS 9, and uh, some other improvements to iCloud have fixed most, but not all of those problems. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's a little bit of bloody-mindedness where they're saying, like, look, people use the software. There's fewer crashes. It's all cool. And it's like, no, you need to listen to people articulating specific problems because those people are articulating for folks who do not have the ability to articulate it. They just know they're angry and upset because they can't. They're banging their heads against this software, this service. How many times does iCloud prompt you for your password when you're on your iPhone? A lot. Uh-huh. Too I many. Mean, that ha yeah. Happens, uh, happening less to me, which is great, but it does uh, iCloud services on my OS t I have two uh, Macs. OS ten seems to, like, every few days, like, go, hey, uh, we don't have your – something's wrong with iCloud. I'm like, I'm looking at the status. It's fine. Like, so something – there's some kind of state issue, but as previously established, I have gigabit broadband, you know, so hey. – <laughs> Probably we're not a back, performance we're thing. Back. I think oh, last episode you didn't mention it. I don't think so. But um, so I don't know. I just feel like it's not like Apple should go and like walk among the common people. But I also feel like I'm hearing from what I read of what they said and your description, other people's descriptions. I'm hearing this hermetic attitude that they don't understand that this isn't just, you know, Walt Mossberg, Marco Arment, uh, John Gruber, Jim Dalrymple. Wait, I'm listing off like – all of these people, these are not, you know, Mark, Walt Mossberg, I wouldn't call like a dyed-in-the-wool Apple guy. Like some of these other folks, you know, John Gruber likes the products. He writes about it. He's often critical about Apple. I am often critical about it, even though I, you know, I've been using the products forever. I love the products. I'm using them. I'm not like a, you know, we're, none of us are angry at Apple. And we're the ones saying we're seeing consistent, repeatable, documentable problems. Um, uh, there's an essay that I think people should read because I actually don't agree with it. But I think it's a good uh, very respectful and interesting insight. It's called uh, the Apple's Elephant in the Room because there's always elephants in the room um, by Alexandra uh, Binsopoulos. Wait, let me get her name right. I'm sorry. No, that was right. Let me say they'll fix that. 
Uh, I hate to get someone's name wrong. I got it right. All right. So this essay that I think everyone should read, it's called Apple's Elephant in the Room. It's by Alexandra Mansopoulos. John Gruber had linked to it, which is how I found it. And it's it's a counter-narrative argument. I disagree with it, but I also think it's good to read because I think it may more accurately represent how Apple is thinking about things, even though this person is not an Apple person. It's that, uh, in fact, we are paying too much attention as uh, in part of an insular community of people who spend so much time working with Apple products that we are seeing too much that we're actually having a like a holistic impression of problems that have been solved or that aren't as bad as we say. And so, you know, here's a it's like there's a massive disconnect between enthusiasts and Apple's broader customer base and their perception of Apple software quality. Now, I would agree it's a concluding sentence and I say read this. I would agree with that, but I would argue that some of that difference is not just a difference in our attention, like our enthusiasm, I'm not an enthusiast, I'm a journalist, whatever. Um, but uh, it's that it's hard for people who are the large customer base of Apple users to articulate precisely what is causing them pain. That's Apple's job to figure out. So it's not a PR issue. It's Apple needs to reduce pain to make happy users to sell more products to keep the ecosystem running. Um, and I feel like they don't have that much attention to it. Now, that said, I think we just heard rumors that uh, iTunes was going to have a major revamp soon, right? Um, yeah, they said that with the next uh, OS X version, there was, you know, a, a new iTunes, but kind of just like a refresh. Um, I don't know how much that'll be refreshed. They didn't really rule out, you know, like a, a big shakeup, um, you know, breaking it up into multiple apps, you know, maybe mirroring more closely what we have on the iOS side. Um, but but I don't think that's coming, you know, tomorrow or anything. But uh, like sometime this month, they said that we would get an OS X update that had a, a refreshed iTunes. Well, that'd be I mean, good. I Even think if it like, worked more reliably, it'd be fine. I mean, I still, you know, yeah. this is the thing. They're dismissing issues like iCloud backups. How many times have you had trouble with iTunes or iCloud backups and managing that from iTunes? I have this all the time. Everybody I know has this all the time. I'm constantly talking people through dealing with problems with iTunes or iCloud backups. This is not an artificial problem. They are not able to measure it is the only thing I can think. Mm -hmm. And just, I mean, getting around iTunes is still really hard. And they talked about a little bit about why it's split up that way. And it is, I mean, there's a lot of pieces and it's, it's also a store, you know, like it's not just like a way to collect your music. It's, it's a major store. So it would be, you know, like, you know, when your favorite store is renovating while you're trying to shop, like it's kind of annoying. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, it would be a big problem to fix, but I really hate iTunes. So I hope that they can do something, but I mean, it's, it, it's the same problem with I, with photos is that they, they made all these buttons just look like text and you can't tell what's a button and what's just writing. And, and you feel like a your treasure hunter having to click around and whatever they do, if they did revamp it, you know, it would be, it's tough because you can't, if it's, you know, if it comes along with an OS 10 update and you can't, you know, let it kind of mature a little bit, you're stuck with this .o software and they, lately their track record for, for .o has been kind of crappy. Like tvOS felt like a beta, yep. um, you know, watch OS one felt like a beta and yeah. So if they I redid mean, iTunes, it, like I wouldn't want to upgrade right away. I would want to go back to like the wait and see kind of model. Um, but you know, you don't always get that control. Well, and I'd say they're also ignoring things like the persistent Apple ID problem, which affects people in iTunes and affects you with iCloud and other things. I get email all the time to Mac 901 about people with multiple I Apple IDs 
trying to figure out how to normalize it. The fact that in 2016, a company like Apple cannot let you merge accounts or cope in any way with account issues that are anything beyond the basic stuff. They're like, you know, the answer is to abandon the accounts and all your purchases ostensibly. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they cannot deal with what they created. They created a system in which they have, I'm sure, millions of people who have purchased items on multiple accounts. And that's not a, you know, and so there's a lot of money people have invested and also configuration. I'm constantly dealing with the fact that I have two active accounts that are served for purposes and keeping track of them. I would abandon that in a second and merge it, but I cannot. And, you know, so tell me, me, tell me why that's unachievable when, you know, retail stores and other, I mean, it's not a, it's a database problem, right? Or it's a, mm-hmm. it's a system problem. Is it a licensing issue? Well, there can work with all the companies to figure out how to transfer licensing. Like that's not our problem as consumers. Our problem is that we don't have unification and they make it hard. So it's just, I feel like uh, they're trying to put something onto us that is not really our, our issue. And uh, I don't know. Frustrating. So I feel like that frustration, because they're selling so many units. I mean, now that we're seeing stalling sales, like Apple may have reached the the peak of the kind of growth it had. We'll see more growth, obviously, but maybe not at the same rate. Uh, you know, they need not- to just keep shoveling hardware at us so we don't like look at the software. <laughs> so we're all just like, but look at these toys. You know, they're like, uh, how about a new iPhone mid-cycle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, shiny <And> things. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, well, how about making the experience better so that a new user comes along and feels good about it? How about making the experience better for people like us who have spent huge amounts of money over the years, making it better for us so that we're not feeling as frustrated? But, you know, frustration maybe doesn't reduce sales. Yeah, so if <sighs> you're really frustrated... This podcast episode might frustrate you more. Yeah. I, I I found myself very frustrated the whole time I was listening to it. Well, I should probably listen to it. I haven't had a chance to. Uh, I'm to doing so much podcasting. I don't try to listen to podcasts. Isn't that There's irony? a lot of podcasts out there. Holy cow. There's some good ones. We should get some pod- <laughs> We'll get some other podcasts. My girlfriends and I are, are about to start one. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because awesome. we think we think there needs to be one more. Just one more. Well, podcasts that aren't all people like me would probably be a good idea, you know? <laughs> This podcast isn't just people like me. It's people like you, too. But, uh, yeah, there is a tends to be what we might call a uniformity in technology podcasts, which is fortunately is breaking over time. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the of our own Relay FM, the Rocket podcast. It is three friends of mine uh, who host that who are not people like me. And I that's, think that's a good great. one. Um, there are people like me in some ways, not others. That's, that's one of that. those that's like a really great podcast that I'd never get to. It's like always on the pile know, it's, and well, the pile is just so big. And I don't, I don't listen to as many tech podcasts as you might imagine because well, that's that's just not how I relax. <laughs> it's, I, I, like to, I like to quit all my jobs and just devote myself entirely to listening to podcasts and I would still not get there. Uh, For yes. real. Yeah. Even on double speed. I know, I know. So it's a rock on, podcasters. It's a we need more Love podcast you excerpting so you could listen to like 10 minutes. People need to tell. He's the best 10 minutes of this podcast. And I could listen Ooh, to Oh, yeah. Uh, there is a podcast I'm trying right now called, uh, I think it's called The Sampler or The Sample. Uh, it's from the uh, at Gimlet Media uh, Sampler. That's what it's called. And they are scouring stuff and then and then airing segments, which is a great idea. It's, I just, I'd like that's to be able really to listen good idea. to more different things. It's just not check that time. out. Uh, so speaking of somebody else having Moving problems, right along to keep our podcast interesting. This is all about yes. This is about uh, this is our problem episode with some good stuff too. Uh, so Kanye, Kanye, uh, Kanye's got some problems. He's got some pro- Man, that guy. How did he get ninety nine problems? He's fifty three million dollars in personal debt. I guess title cost more than we thought to, to get up and running. Um, Title's not even Kanye's thing. It's Jay Z's thing. Oh, that's right. So why is he? I don't know. You're like, I, you're like somebody broke it down, and it's like, oh, he had you know his a couple fashion launches. I think it's mostly the clothing. 
I didn't read the article, the breaking it down. I don't, yeah, I just think it's uh, – or maybe it's one line of business. He's down. He's got 53 mil. I mean, it's an investment. I don't know. It's interesting to and think that's of if someone – you believe like his crazy stream of consciousness tweets. I, I just unfollowed I tend, him actually. I tend not to. I know we have a story up that, uh, that looks at him trying to get Mark uh, – Zuckerberg and Larry Page to, via Twitter to yeah. invest in him, which He's is fascinating. Like Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, call me tomorrow. I need a billion dollar investment. And then he he posted this like uh, this sort of flow chart of all the the different you know industries that he wanted to conquer, and it was it was quite insane. He's a smart guy. He does interesting stuff, but his uh, his approach to the world is not consonant with most people's desire to interact with him, I think. Although, but, you but know. it does intersect with our world a little bit because he also put out his album on Tidal and then just yesterday, I think, tweeted that it will never, ever, 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 ever be on Apple. Right. He only wants it to be on Tidal. So I don't even know if he's going to sell it on iTunes. Like at first he said it would stream for a week and then he'd sell it. So everyone's just like pirating it now because like the only place to get it, I guess, is Tidal. And then Tidal was going to try to sell it because they also sell music. Like you can do streaming, but you can also, you know, buy copies of things that you like. I love streaming and I still buy copies of things that I really, really like. Um, So I understand that. But then I guess they were taking money for people and he like delayed the selling. So that kind of ran into a problem where a bunch of people had paid for it and weren't allowed to download it yet. And they were like, what the heck? So... So yeah, titles having some some growing pains, but they're racking up the exclusives. I mean, Rihanna had her album exclusively there, and um, Beyonce's Formation, which is amazing, is exclusively on title right now. Um, and then yeah, the new the new Kanye. So well, they're sort of realizing what they were trying to do. I think. Uh, I mean, we still think it's probably overpriced for what they're what they're doing, but the idea that this is where artists are gonna bring their stuff, and there's a reason to be on it if you want to be on the cutting edge of music. Uh, then this is the service, and they're and there's so a ten dollar tier. There's but do, what don't you get at ten bucks? And there a uh... there's a higher um, there's a higher quality tier if you oh, want to spend more. But it? I think you can just get it all for ten bucks, like the other ones. It's interesting. So here we are. So it's 2016. I keep, a, rem- I keep reminding people in case people have forgotten the year. It's 2016. Uh, it's and 2016. I saw, Glenn I saw, has fiber. Kanye's on title. Go. It's it's the future. Um, so the, <laughs> here's the thing. I saw someone I think tweet this yesterday. He said uh, said great. It's um, twenty year. Oh no, I think it was Farhad Manju. I forget. Someone tweeted this thing and said uh, like 1996 or 2001. Very hard to like get music all in one place. Like 2010, really easy to get all music in one place. 2016, really hard to get all music in one place. Right? So we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're cycling back to like the, you know, this is over here, that is over here, like you gotta shop around kind of thing. Well, it's, we talked about this with the TV services, like, okay, so if you really wanted every original series and every programming that's available, you have to do uh, Hulu and Netflix and Amazon, and not just Prime, well, Amazon Prime would include all their original programming, but not necessarily um, all of the uh, the uh, other stuff that's available. Uh, so you've got, and then you have to maybe Apple because Apple's got this new. Sh- I mean, for, it's, I'm not looking forward to like violent nudity show that Apple's producing. Apparently, but, <laughs> the Dr. Dre show. Dr. Dre is going to be interesting. Dr. Dr. Dre fun time orgy hour. Got some issues with Dr. Dre to begin with, uh, but <laughs> that just adds to it. But I'm like, so how many services are like video side? Yeah, actually, the other day, I'm like, all right, I want to watch The Expanse. I want to watch The Magicians. These are on sci-fi, S-Y, F-Y. I'm like, or Sifi, whatever they call it. I'm like, how do I watch this? Because I don't have cable. People are like, oh, well, you can use the app. If you use the app, 
the app gives you free access. Well, it's not free access. It's you get three episodes for free, but then you can sign up, but you have to authenticate through your cable. And if you don't, and it's like, bleh, like, oh, you can go to iTunes. And like, Gee. in the end, I wound up buying the Expanse. So I wanted to watch it. I heard so many good things about it. I paid, what, 24 bucks, I think, for the entire season, which seems fair to me. I mean, it's like, I don't know, 10 hours of programming or something like that. Uh, so it's actually on an hourly basis. I'm cool with that. That's like a little more than a, uh, you know, a film, but I got an entire series. And I don't mind buying series of TV from uh, iTunes uh, in, in HD. I think that's fine. But but now we have that with music. Like, all right, I want to watch, I want to listen to uh, Formation. What do I need? Okay, I need Tidal? But I don't have Tidal. I don't have Spotify. I've got Apple Music. I can't listen to it on... Apple, can I buy it on Apple Music? I don't know. I don't think so. No, I mean, it's I don't just think uh, it's there at all. Uh, I mean, the thing is, though, fundamentally, I support this thing that I think you do too, which is that um, it's the right for artists to choose how their work is disseminated without mm -hmm. the risk of piracy, that they should be able to make a choice. If Kanye wants to only make it available on Tidal. Cool, it's his work. He owns it. Let him do yeah. what he wants to do. And pirating that is, you know, it's a subversion of his rights as an artist. It's not like there's this, I mean, there was this argument. Adele isn't streaming her album anywhere, and it sold a bajillion, and nobody yeah. is criti criticizing her for it. So yeah, yeah, and that's it great. Is but she had more control. It is kind of annoying that you know, like Title was you know launched by by these artists, and people are kind of you know like laughing at it. But it's like, well, I mean, you know, they at least they're trying to do something that like they can own and they can control, and you know, really look out for the artists. Like it's sort of just you know they're trying to think of artists first, which is a laudable goal yeah, and, and Kanye putting his album on title. I mean, I don't know if this is like really going to help his, his like financial situation, but title like rocketed up to number one um, on the free charts on the app store because of this. So, I mean, when, when I downloaded the Rihanna album, like she tweeted out title hosted it and she tweeted out a link to download it for free. And then that came with, you know, a link to sign up for a free trial of title. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if maybe they have a different model that is like, like rewarding the artists for you know maybe like they get a commission or something if if I click the Rihanna link they can know that I came in through the Rihanna email if I then sign up and convert to a paying customer you know if she got like two or three bucks for my first you know just just the, the ten dollars I pay that first month yeah like that that could be huge that could be way bigger than actually selling an album because artists don't get that much money oh. when you buy their album they the make most of it on the road and like, are terrible all oh, the and different that's not even true you know it's revenue bad. streams and the, the merch and the money on the road thing isn't even true anymore I mean this is the thing I have friends uh, who are run the cash music foundation uh, in Portland and uh, who are building love them yeah so they build tools for um for artists to use and of any size and um and they've got some pretty serious artists involved in using the platform too uh and it's a platform that they essentially give to people they're they're a nonprofit that then is essentially giving away tools for artists to run their own sites and careers and finances and all that. It's awesome. And uh, they've shifted to doing more education because the uh, IRS rules about, you know, the IRS does not have this classification of like, we're making free software to improve people's lives. Like, no, that doesn't really fit our, but what else are you doing? <laughs> like, oh, geez. So they're working on that. But they, uh, they do great work. And, and their thing, I mean, it's interesting to talk to them because they have no horse. Uh, I mean, uh, one of them is a, a longtime professional musician, was the manager for Bikini Kill as well. And, um, you know, they have a, a deep bench of people they consult and, and, are, and know. And uh, they don't have a horse in the race of, like, how the finances play out for labels, let's say, although some of them have been involved with independent labels too. So when I, and I'm like, all right, is this true? Like, you know, who, can you not make money on the road? They're like, well, 
in some, you know, uh, Jack uh, Conti, uh, uh, who's the founder of Patreon, uh, is also, you know, musician and um, with uh, Natalie Dawn in, um, I've forgotten their band name, but they do that. Those great cover things. They got a lot of attention, became YouTube celebrities by doing incredible covers, like mostly acapella with really interesting instrument choices. And uh, Pomplamoose is what they call themselves. Oh, yeah. I and, was thinking that. Okay. Yeah. They're amazing, amazing stuff. And um, and Jack Conti has had this multi-year conversation about like, look, you know, we get millions of views on YouTube and make 25 bucks. We had this mechanism where we pushed people to buy music. And if they bought it, we made it. But then that wasn't working as well. Then we went on the road and we basically, we want to do these amazing shows that honored our, our uh, audience, but we couldn't summon like a big enough audience they had a good audience that everywhere they went and it was their filling I mean, venues I, I think Beyonce and Kanye make a lot of money on the road yeah yeah no it's true <laughs> well right but I mean then there's a scale like everything below a certain scale like all the right. musicians at the top like Taylor Swift controls her distribution too and so she's made, I mean and but some of the stuff these musicians at the top are doing definitely trickled on I thought Taylor Swift making uh, that complaint with Apple about Apple Music that affected musicians at a lot lower down the pay scale than her right well, I know this isn't the copyright and uh, licensing uh, podcast, so we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> but where can but yeah, we get the our whole, music? The whole title thing is pretty interesting right now. I wonder, you know, if they'll have a bump and then they'll slide back down. Because when Rihanna re- released her album, they had a bump in the in the app charts, and then they they slid right back down. So I mean, it could be like back. They could be back to number one hundred on the charts by the time this podcast comes out. But um, you know, they're they're trying. So I guess props to them. But Kanye needs to. You have better fundraising methods than yeah. just begging Mark Zuckerberg and Larry Page on Twitter to give him money. But he said yeah. it worked. He's like, all these people keep emailing me. I'm hearing from all these billionaires and venture capitalists. So, He's hearing from all these people Good who claim to be, I think that's <laughs> claimed to be billionaires and venture capitalists. It's weird, though, because he's Kanye West. I unfollowed West. him. I couldn't if, take it anymore. If Kanye West just, like, if his people called, like, every rich person in the world... 90% of them would be like, oh my God, I got to meet Kanye West. They would meet with him. There was this funny thing that came up. Um, Neil Stevenson uh, had this failed uh, Kickstarter project, uh, raised a bunch of money, and then the thing has sputtered out. I'm not sure what happened, but it was to make a realistic um, weapon controller for video games. And they made this beautiful video. They raised a bunch of money, and they were trying to do the first phase and raise money at the same time, showing like, look, there's a ton of interest in this. They went out to raise money, and he said what happened in the end is they kept getting all these meetings, and they would meet. And everyone just wanted to meet him. They didn't actually want to have anything to do. So they wasted all this time meeting with VC and other parties who had no interest in investing. And he's like, oh, you know, so in the end, they had to shut the thing down. And I think they're open sourcing what they did or whatever. But I was like, I was like, Kanye, you could just call people and they'd be like, you don't do on Twitter. Just call them and say, hey, let's get together and we could talk. And I bet, you know, you can get some investors that way. Oh, well. Hey, so uh, something that does work. Let's switch to something that does work. Is I've been a uh, I've talked a lot in this podcast about the HD home run from uh, Silicon Dust, um, which is a networked based like Ethernet based and Wi Fi based in one model uh, TV tuner for over the air broadcast and for uh, with a cable card in one model where you can tune in uh, some kinds of cable programming with yep. the cable. And, um, and then they have a Apple TV app called Channels. Well, that's from a different party. This is the funny thing. Like HD Home Run is like making an ecosystem. So like, oh it yes, work, yes, okay. It, Channels it, is different people, yeah, but well, it, it works, works with, with the hardware. Yeah. Well, it's cool. Is this is kind of the the, the value of uh, Universal Plug and Play is like HD Home Run pushes its stuff out via UPnP, so you can use uh, VLC software, you can use uh, third party apps, and then Channels. Uh, I reviewed that um, recently for MacWorld uh, because they came out with a new version. It's been out for a couple months and it's selling very well, apparently. Uh, 
which I find interesting because you have to have this hardware device to use channels, but it lets you tune over-the-air programming and cable card programming from the HD home run that you have on your network or multiple to an Apple TV and get live TV, and I like it. The update added a buffer. So we've talked about this issue that you can't, as a developer, guarantee that you have permanent storage on a device, but you can get, I think it's like up to two gigabytes of temporary storage uh, as available. So they're buffering like as much as 30 minutes of programming while you're watching. So you can turn something on, hit pause, walk away, come back, and then uh, you know access that buffer. And so it's not a DVR because that's impossible on Apple TV by itself yeah there's nowhere to really record it a whole yeah. show and keep a menu of shows around like it's not a TiVo but you can pause and walk away so that's that's really big it's cool I if mean you... if you're watching something long like even like a basketball game or something if you just pause that for if you just fill up that buffer by the time you exactly. like use it up you're you're so far in like a 30 minute buffer can get you like two hours into something sometimes well, it's great too. Yeah, you're just going to skip all the commercials. It's so fun. Yeah, so I did, you skip the commercials and then you watch, you know, the other stuff in real time. And like, so you're only using up each commercial break as it goes. And it's great. I love it. Yeah, we watched That's the, the uh, thing I miss the most about my TiVo. I haven't watched Super Bowl in years. My kids, who have no particular interest in sports, are like, we want to watch it. I'm like, okay, let's watch. Hey, I got an easy way to tune it on our TV. And I was using the did pause. It work? Yeah, it was great. I used the pause. So you were streaming it over the air? I was streaming it over the air because we got. That's awesome. I, I'm sure I'm boring listeners have heard this before, but we were in a shadow of the TV towers. The TV towers are on a hill near us. We're at the bottom of the hill. So we're in like, you know how you, uh, if you shine a light around a globe and there's like the umbra and the penumbra and the penumbra <laughs> is that part. It's like the umbra is the direct shadow and the penumbra is like the shadow around it. So you're getting some light, but it's not full light. So we're in like the penumbra. It's great. <laughs> the penumbra of the TV tower t- uh, hill. Uh, it's a new book coming out soon. And uh, anyway, so antenna we Antenna no work good. That's right. Antenna <laughs> no work. And we have a lot of reflection though. So I couldn't use an in- uh, antenna inside the house. I, I found a guy who's like a retired TV, uh, like a, a you know local uh, telecom worker. And he just does consulting now and he'll do in-house stuff and whatever. I'm like, can you put an antenna on my roof? He's like, yeah. So he stuck one way up there, plugged this into HD Home Run uh, on, and I have networked access. So anyway, so we have like, you know, 30 or 40 channels. Most of them are like evangelical, uh, you know, uh, uh, proselytizing in, uh, in other languages and ones I speak. Yep, yep. Yep. But we get all the main channels, which is great. So I get multiple PBS and uh, Fox and all the rest. Uh, so we did watch the Super Bowl. And then I've also, X-Files was able to, um, I used a DVR software to record it, but I was able to use the channel software for that. And then uh, I watched, I was actually up late on Saturday night and I watched Saturday Night Live Live. It was the weirdest thing. I watched some of it live. I didn't even know how to cope with that. That's crazy. But it was I haven't great. seen it live in years. I know. So I'm like, I'm streaming it. I mean, I'm watching it live, but then I'm like, oh, I need to go get some food or it's the commercial. So I pause it, walk away. And, uh, and it's nice. It's weird to have like the buffer. It makes it so much more useful. And the software is selling for, I think it's 25 bucks, which ain't cheap. But if you want this experience, the Apple TV app is 25 bucks. Yeah, the channels app, which I respect oh, wow. the fact they're doing it because there's a finite, you have to have the hardware. So someone's already spent like 80 to 130 bucks yeah. on this HD home run. This is an extension of that. And it and it bypasses needing cable TV if you're just using over the air uh, for this experience. So uh, the thing yeah, that's ha- works. Yeah, the thing that's happening is um, right now, uh, uh, ITV, that's E-Y-E-TV from Elgato, it mm. used to support HD Home Run. What I didn't know is I bought the last version of the Silicon Dust hardware that Elgato supports. So in fact, you cannot, I've been saying you could use ITV with HD Home Run, you can't. So right now there's no DVR software that supports it, 
But interestingly, Silicon Dust is in the middle of, I think they're in alpha stage of testing a DVR software that does not exist right now in this form. There's some third parties and open source projects to that, um, uh, like I think it's Myth TV, that let you turn your computer into a DVR. But okay. this this is going to be really interesting. It's multi-platform server. It's going to support all these open protocols, and they're going to sell it. Um, and the HD Home Run people are working closely with the uh, the channels app people rather are working closely to support this DVR. So at some point, you'll be able to get from Silicon Dust a software-based DVR product you install on a computer on your network, and then you'll be able to use channels to access that DVR programming. Ooh. Yeah, and then you're like, then you have a totally cool system and it's so, on baby yeah because then you have, D, <laughs> right, you have a dvr interface on your apple tv that works with a server on your network and it's like yeah then it's a whole whole other so thing you can tape all that daytime programming <laughs> exactly there's so much you know what's funny though is now that i have ota access and i have you know a good tuner and i've got dvr software i am stunned by what's running like there's so much stuff that runs at weird hours if you're interested in that programming and a lot of it isn't easily accessible unless you have cable TV because it's reruns of old things or uh, they're showing like old Doctor Who's, which I don't even know. And I could get those, but they're not on every service. You have to buy them or some of them don't exist. So um, OTA is still a very interesting, over-the-air programming, still a very interesting thing. Well, I'm interested in it just for, for big events. So you use that to yes. do the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl was like streaming everywhere this year. And so, I mean, and uh, we had Jared write about it because he's the cord cutting guy. And he was like, okay, like it's going to be streaming cord cutters. You don't need a cable login. Like finally what we've been asking for. But, you know, don't really get your hopes up. And if you're having a party, you probably don't want to rely on oh, this. Yeah, this is like your yeah. way to watch the Super Bowl. So I wasn't having a party. My family went to a party. I was still feeling like sick enough to not want to go. Like I was okay, but I was like, I don't want to wrap myself in a blanket and lie down on someone else's couch. Like that feels a little gauche. So I stayed home and I was going to stream it by myself. Um, so it was supposedly in the CBS app for Apple TV. I downloaded that. That app wouldn't even launch. It was just way overloaded. I couldn't really get it working well in my app for iPad, so I just eventually ran it in my browser, and then I hooked that <laughs> right into the TV. Like, I yeah. wired it to the TV so I wouldn't have to, like, stream it once from the internet and then stream oh it again God, over AirPlay. painful. Yeah, it was kind of caveman days, but it worked. It was fine. Um, and then I heard the Grammy stream kind of crapped out, too. That was also yeah, CBS. Yeah. They so so I don't know if it's C just CBS, like they can't CBS get their live stuff done. Our third party, like IP authenticator service, like misidentified some people's machines suddenly as if they were outside the US or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's I'm glad why we have out. these over the air options that still work with, you know, our streaming boxes. In America, we paid for that public airwaves. People forget the public airwaves. We have a right. This is an ownership thing. And we're getting free programming because those companies are using something that's a public good. Ha! Yeah. So uh, watching the Super Bowl is your right as an American. And I'm exactly. glad that there's a way to, to get it on the device I want to watch it on, which is my Apple TV without... Um, having to rely on these crappy live streams. Can't spell Super Bowl without U.S. <laughs> it's true. A uh, couple other without things. USB. 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 Oh, my God. USB. I, I did not watch the Superb Owl this year, but it seemed like a good idea. Um, you know, it, it was okay. It was good. I like, I like owls. It was all right. Owls I've apparently seen do not like being in captivity, so they're actually very unhappy when you see them when people are messing around with them, but. A uh, couple more items before we finish up here. iPhone SE and iPad Air 3, the rumor is, from reputable sources that are or so, reliable sources, I should say, is that it's coming um, March 18th and that there aren't going to be pre-orders, apparently. They're just going to be yeah. hit the stores. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's the story i'm waiting for it because my wife's phone like she's like you know i'm trying to use my she's got a f- iphone 5 she's like now it seems like when i do i can't remember the the volume down button isn't working there's something else that's now crapping out and i'm like hold on for another month honey Hang on it'll there. be here soon i swear yep. yeah it should be a, it should be a good upgrade for people with the 5 or the 5c um or you know maybe even the 5s we don't know exactly what's going to be in it but it sounds like it'll be the six so yeah that'll be cool um yeah if they don't do pre-orders so the rumor is that they'll announce it on like a wednesday and then ship it on a friday so that would be pretty cool um it's it's you know i don't have enough sources to you know write anything like sourced even like anonymously sourced i can't like confirm anything but the little birds that i do know like just don't really like this. This seems like it's going to be kind of a minor release. So, like iPad Air three is cool because we didn't get we didn't get it when we should have. It's kind of they feels think, a little delayed. But the five SC not a big release because I would think they're going to sell many many millions. So they don't want to. I mean, I thought the five C would be like a hot ticket, and it really wasn't. So well, I mean, sold, maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about. The five C I think sold it's well. I just before. don't think it, it didn't. I mean, remember the the five C narrative was Apple's going to introduce a cheap phone they're going to sell in China. And that was a narrative that wasn't true, right? I don't know if Apple seeded that rumor or how it came out. When it shipped, it's like, oh, this is a cheaper manufacturing version for Apple that they're charging the same premium price for, right? They dropped it down a tier, but they, it wasn't a cheap phone. And I think it reset. Uh, I don't think analysts and a lot of writers caught up with that still. They, I still see references that say the 5C was a failure. I'm like, the 5C sold tens of millions of units. I think it just became a reliable entry well, level phone. they don't really phone. break it out. So I mean, yeah. I don't really know. Well, but I mean, right from reports though, the way that people look the at the analysts can mix, guess by talking to the phone companies and stuff. Yeah. And there was a mix. You could see, when this, you could see how Apple, uh, you know, how it refreshed it, what was available in stores, inventory. Like the expectation is uh, it wasn't a failure. It just became the entry level phone and did perfectly fine. and was a much better entry level phone than the 4S was by far. Uh, I think the five, you know, the five C was much better than the four S, and so, um, and, and you know they were able to extend the life of that for a long time. But so I don't know. I think the five S C, and maybe it'll fit in that same category where it's sort of the well, we also have this. But I just know so many people. I mean, I think I know ten people who are going to immediately get this when it's out to replace either an old phone or maybe even side grade from an iPhone six that that was a success that was too big for them. They'll uh, trade it in. Uh, okay, one last item. just want to mention this because people should go to um, Macworld.com, as they should always, and read about uh, HomeKit. Um, we had kind of two interesting HomeKit articles. One uh, was Dan Morin writing about how his house is not yet smart and he's not really looking forward to being too smart, which I understand. I have a dumb house, too. We have, we have nothing smart in my house except my kids. My kids are so – they're such smart maths. Good God, no, <laughs> they're nice kids, and uh, <laughs> but um, and I appreciate that, especially after we were talking not that long ago about the Nest thermostat thing, where like a software upgrade affected what like half a percent or 0.1 percent of users, and the over-the-air update left the the thermostat not heating homes and with no easy way to fix it, and um, you know, so there's that concern about the Internet of Things, the smart home. Some people have talked about like. Oh, my Hue light bulb is updating. Like I can't use my lights right now because the light bulb is updating. Like, come on, right? So there's that kind so of thing. So much of what out there is the lights now, and like yeah. I get 
that there's situations where you'd want to be able to control your lights remotely. But then in practice, it's really annoying because there's like 90% of the time you use your lights. Like you don't, you just want to turn on the light. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to have to use another device to remotely turn on the light. You just want to be able to walk up to it and turn it on. Well, aren't there some and switches now? they haven't now? yet. Like there's so, yeah, there's switches. But so, that's, a, like a, that's a way bigger upgrade than just like screwing in a bulb. And I mean, like Dan's problem is that he's a renter. I, I own my house and I still haven't like gone all in on this stuff because my house is really old. I have to update the electrical. Like, you know, I don't have the right kind of thermostat. I don't have two, three wires in my doorbell. Like there's all these like oh, yeah, little have, things. It's, it's fabric, always way more complicated than it sounds. We have like fabric wrap wiring in our house still. Like some of it's the old stuff with, um, it's got like, uh, I forget what that's called. Like uh, got a percha or something. <laughs> it's like yeah. 19. I mean, some of the house has original wiring. Now the owners before me uh, a few decades ago replaced some of the stuff with modern Romex, but not all of it. We had some work done, had things replaced, but there are still I places in the house. I used to look down these like managed systems where you'd get someone to come in and like install it all oh, for Jesus. you. I used I to think that that was overkill, but 10, now I'm like, well, at least, you know, they would know what I have to do because now it feels like I don't even really know like what step one is. Yeah, this is kind of like, I mean, I think the, the smart home is kind of at some level, there's certain things you can retrofit relatively easily, like thermostats generally, but not always. Some of them are missing a wire that you need and they're like, oh, you have to feed yeah, a wire down. Yeah, you have to have three wires whatever. if you only have two wires. Yeah, so some cases that'll work. In some cases, um, there's the smart lighting's going to work. Like a, like a lot of things will just work retrofitted as one component. Like a thermostat can be a huge improvement and there's that issue about that Nest has discovered and now the major makers are starting to pick it up on, which is the inaccuracy of thermostats. Like I would love to have like several super cheap thermostats with like two-year batteries in my house that actually helped balance the temperature more. We don't have zones, so it doesn't matter that much, but it would give me a better sense of like where I need to insulate or whatever. But if I had to spend, you know, a hundred bucks per thermostat or a thermometer, I'm not going to do it. But like, I like the idea of having lots of super cheap long-lived battery things that you stick all over the place that help you have more efficiency. So you're using less power. It's just where you want. It's all targeted. Um, when you go away, you go you know, on vacation or you're gone for the day, it runs a pattern both on heat and light and alarms and other things so that the house looks occupied. Like all these things would be great, right? And it's it's not there yet. But we did run a review of um, the uh, El, uh, Elgato, speaking of Elgato, has a uh, the Eve connected system that uh, has a bunch of components and our reviewer had um, pretty good things to say about some of them, didn't like uh, one of them very much, but in, and had some setup irritation. Um, but we're starting to see what HomeKit can do, especially with an integrated system, and uh, and I dig that. So we'll uh, we'll talk more about that in the future as HomeKit is starting to become uh, more real with more products shipping. Yeah, I still think it has a lot of potential. I mean, they need to add a few more things to the protocol, and then more companies need to ship like you know really final polished devices. Um, but the the stuff out there so far, like it's it's pretty good, and it's cool how you can use different apps. Like you don't have to use the app that the manufacturer of the device provides you could use a different app because you know it's HomeKit, so it all kind of bridges across like your your health data will travel from one you know health kit app to another so so it's got it's got some good stuff about it um yeah well we should do, maybe we do a whole home kit episode soon where we really break it down to find some other folks who are using home kit uh actively maybe and we'll uh well, uh, yeah, it's I weird did. because like all, there's so many smart home, you know, protocols now and different systems and they all work with iPhone. So it's like you could, you know, like hold out and just, you know, build a HomeKit system one device at a time, which is kind of what I'm doing. 
but you know, there's there's so many good products right now that don't use HomeKit. So there's not really like a, a like a super compelling like selling point for like okay, I, like I'm only going to use HomeKit because everything works with the iPhone. It all does. Yeah, that's the thing is the iPhone is your hub as opposed to HomeKit being your hub, right? I mean, that's the that's interesting. Then you want everything to interact among itself on the phone. Yeah, but then you don't get yeah, you, you it's HomeKit's will be better because of, you know, the OS integration and the Siri integration and 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 that stuff, but I mean, like right now the the devices like if if you were just line, only choosing based on, you know, what devices are, you know, the most reliable and have the best like reputation and been in the market the longest, you know, not not so many of those are HomeKit devices just yet, but we're getting there. Well, we have dumb homes, and I'm proud of my dumb home. I love my dumb <laughs> I home. I love my dumb home. <laughs> Stupid babies I need the most love attention. I love it so much. In my 1922 <laughs> house, it's, uh, it's not, it ain't fancy, but we went to celebrate the 90th birthday, and we forgot. So we're going to have a 100th birthday celebration for my house in a few years. Nice. And, uh, give it a party. Tell it thank you. It's, it's got yeah. good bones. It's Mine will turn 70 this year. It was a 46. That's so. pretty good in the Bay Area. Yep. For a lot of we didn't have the we had a, a big earthquake here. We had a few big earthquakes here, but nothing that uh, dest- destroyed downtown. Didn't I'm destroy my so downtown. close to a fault. Like I felt an earthquake the other day, oh, like maybe no. like a week or two ago, and nobody else in my family felt it. But it felt so weird to me. Like it felt different than one that's far away. And I like I wasn't even sure I was feeling it. It felt kind of like a vertigo thing. Like I had to go lie down. And then I looked it up later, and it was the epicenter was like two blocks from my house. Like I'm so oh, close geez. to a fall. It was it's- very, very small, and it didn't cause any damage. And our house has been retrofitted and bolted to the foundation and all Me that too. stuff. So hopefully, you know, it's going to be fine. But, yeah, I do worry about that. This is what I mean. Not It's like I'm not – it sounds so techno – utopian or whatever but like the thing i look forward to with the smart house is this sensor ideas imagine if you had accelerometers in your house those things cost like tenths of a cent now i think or pennies because mm-hmm. they're in smartphone this is what's driving small satellites into space another of my like side interests like all the things that have driven uh smartphone uh functionality are all these micro electromechanical sensors yeah. i was talking about last time i mems i love mems but like imagine your house just littered with different kinds of sensors mm-hmm. that, have that some. Tel- yeah so it help you right my favorite home product right now yeah. is my it's it's called wally home and it's not a home kit thing but it's like it's got its own hub and it has to be plugged right into my router and that's what a big pain in the butt but it has all these like uh sensors that you put all over your house and they have it uses like a really cool they made up their own um uh, networking kind of protocol called, they call it Snoopy and it's um, it's like a power line sort of thing where oh. the an- antenna in the sensor only has to be strong enough to get to y- the nearest wall and then it uses the it's not really power line because it, it doesn't transfer the data over the power lines but it uses them as an antenna so oh, if it that's can, super cool it's really cool so if it can get the signal just to a wall with a wire in it that wire like that's all over your house, your, your entire house has wires in the wall. Those all act as an antenna to get the signal back to the base station. And they're just like temperature moisture sensors. So I have one like under all my sinks, like in my attic, oh, behind the washing machine. And I don't actually do anything with them. Like no, I don't but interact with them. Wrong, but though, yeah, the, the, like when your hot water heater starts to leak, like having mm-hmm. a sensor there could save Leaks you and, thousands like, weird of temperature dollars. things. If it's like, oh, you know, your the temperature in your attic is like skyrocketing no, you for know, some reason. You can you know be like, want, oh man. And someone's up there starting fires. You know what you want in an earthquake zone, right? You want fire, a temperature sensor. You want earthquake zones, which is a lot of people live in earthquake zones, not just in. I mean, I'm in one here in Seattle where our house has been earthquake retrofit as Oklahoma's well. Oklahoma's having all these. Right. Earthquakes. You want if you could put in t- 
tiny sense, again, tiny things. Like if you had a little thing that was like, you know, an inch cube and you like just went bunk on the wall and you put in 20 of these or whatever, I mean, 10, whatever is needed at different points. And they did all of these measurements, including like motion. So when one part of your house is moving, like part of my house started sinking, I had to do a very expensive repair. Wouldn't it have been great when that started to happen to say, you know, this is going down like 0.01 millimeter. You should start looking at this. Yeah. You know, like and, this how part of your house is moving more than this other part of your house. Like that's not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or there was an earthquake and now your house is off kilter, you know, or whatever. Like there's all in it, but te- like the temperature thing, heat motion there's all these things and i think this is the future for me i want i don't want like a bunch of light bulbs and a thermostat i want an integration that that is monitoring and doing all the things that save me money and improve my safety oh hey just by the way homeowner so i don't know like i don't know what's up you know so i just know that things are gonna break and that i need to find out that they broke before you know that they while they're still like the repairs in the hundreds and not in the thousands. Yeah. Well, here's, you want here, I'll, we'll close that with a, a very positive story, which is, uh, and I don't want to tell the person's name because they haven't, I don't think they've talked about this publicly. Uh, it's a former colleague of yours, someone I know very well. And, uh, he and his family were just in a cabin, uh, over the holiday weekend. And, uh, 7.30 at night, a bunch of sensors start to go off. And then these are dumb sensors, CO2. They, uh, are CO, mm-hmm. carbon monoxide sensors. They're actually in the place, the rental property that they were in. Uh, the oven, the connection got loose and natural gas started filling the house. And the sensors went off because the owners of this rental property, luckily, or maybe it's, I don't know if it's their place or rental, but they, uh, you know, have what you're supposed to do, which is mandated. You have carbon monoxide uh, sensors in, they got out of the house, fire department came out, got it closed way, no one was injured. But they, everyone later is like, oh my gosh, I think we were all starting to feel a little sleepy. Like something was wrong, but they Mm -hmm. didn't know what it was. And like, so say, I mean, those people could all be dead basically. And so that's not a smart sensor thing, but think about that, like where you would have things monitoring gas, like monitoring air quality and other issues. And there are cheap devices they can make now that will actually uh, can take molecules in and analyze them at a really a remarkable level. These things are being used in labs. They'll start to appear more in homes. So instead of a smoke detector, you're going to have a like air detector. And it's yeah, there's some all home kinds kit of air things. quality detectors. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Looking for particulates and, uh, and mm-hmm. ozone and so forth. Yeah. So this is the it future. It is very is, cool. Is, uh, and that will save your life. There you go. So on a happy note, those people lived because of sensors. Yay. Yay. They lived to find more software bugs. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think we'll close out with that happy tone. And we'll uh, and folks, we'll be back next week. This has been uh, Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Glenn. And I have been and remain Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor to Macworld. And this has been episode 495 of the Macworld podcast for February 17th. 2016. You can reach us, you know, via email at podcast at macworld.com. Find us on the Twitter at Glenn F with two N's or SF Suze. That's S-F-S-O-O-Z like Z. Uh, or leave comments at macworld.com on this podcast post. We do read your comments. We listen to you for what you'd like to hear about. We've gotten some nice comments lately. Yeah, it's been great. Nice thank and, you, uh, nice people. Twitter You're so very, nice. Thank you, people on Twitter. If you're still yeah, listening, I appreciate thank you. that. And uh, so we'll be back uh, next week. And thank you for listening. 